thank you very much for that introduction. I thought you were extremely polite. I demanded to be here. I stand uh, And thank you, Patricia, for uh, kindly conveying an invitation to me. And I'm really, really delighted to be here uh, participating in discussions about uh, this episode that has taken part in terms of the social life uh, across England. Uh, I would describe myself as an activist first, that happens to be an academic. Um, I live in Derby and work in Nottingham. Two cities that are particularly, that share similarities. Uh, Nottingham is slightly bigger, but they do share similarities in that they have uh, similar diasporic communities, often because Derby's 50, for those who are not geographers here, uh, there's a 15 miles difference, so there's 15 miles between the cities and uh, it is normal for people to either work in one or the other and so on. So there's a cross uh, exchange on several levels. In Nottingham, we had the uprising and the uprising uh, was in fact targeted at the police. So there was a deliberate concerted attempt to attack the police stations locally. And our next, the speaker after me will tell you a little bit more about that. In Derby, we did not have an uprising as such. Now, there are complex reasons for that, <coughs> but this is what we said in Derby in our response to the Home Affairs Select Committee, the letter, the detailed letter that we sent to Keith Vaz when the Home Affairs Select Committees invited uh, communities, stakeholders, etc., etc., to give their thoughts, their observations on the what we termed social unrest. In our submission, we wrote, and I coordinated this in my activist role, Derby experienced few, if any, disturbances during the period of social unrest across England. With, within, within this, there is a need to acknowledge that this situation may have been partly linked to the important role played by organisations such as ours. Uh, the response was sent on the behalf of the voluntary black organisations in Derby and the churches. So organisations such as ours in tackling some of the deep-seated problems in communities that the riot, the social unrest have highlighted. Integral to our work, integral to our work is the aim to give a voice and a sense of purpose 
for young people and young adults in our community. And that basically contextualises the title of my uh, presentation this, this afternoon. <coughs> Focusing on black youth, <coughs> social progression and community. Um, I want to set the context further by saying, as we've already heard, that the riots, the uprising, captured the headlines over the summer. The causes are complex. However, my argument is that the background to the disturbances in the streets of certain cities over recent months is a consequence of neoliberal economic and social policies applied over the last 30 years in the UK and other major economies. A situation that Stuart Hall in a recent publication referred to as the long march of the neoliberal revolution. The effects of these policies have been great in relation to certain groups, i.e. the elderly, those on low incomes, single parents, the disabled and young adults. As the latter group are more physically fit and able, they are the ones more likely to take to the streets to vent any anger and frustration stemming from their socio-economic position. Street activity and protest over the last 12 months <coughs> has been undertaken by three groups. So the riots as it is termed today is one of three episodes as I as I'll go on to describe them. So three groups. Public sector workers marching in rallies to protest against proposed cuts to public sector pensions and services. And I was part of one of the rallies that took place, um, I think it was round about March time or April. Secondly, students marching in rallies with some peripherally associated street violence, protesting against the increase in university tuition fees and the abolition of the uh, education maintenance allowance. The media has characterised both of these sets of street action as protest. The third group taking to the street to vent their anger has been certain groups of inner city youth. This group action with associated street violence and theft has been characterised by the media as riots. 
The media have also characterised the action of these inner city youths as being predominantly that of black youth. There is even a case of white youth in this scenario passing for black. <laughs> it is indeed the case that a certain proportion of inner city black youth were involved. However, most were not. They have undertaken action of a different nature. And this is the focus of my presentation, that black young people are continually in struggle are continually having to resist, continually having to face and overcome poverty, marginalisation. However, apart from what Martin Luther King describes, how he described riots, he described riots as being the voice of those that are unheard and they are relatively rare. Little attention is paid to how it is that black young people attempt to overcome their marginalization, social exclusion, and how they draw upon resources in the community in an attempt to transcend their material conditions or social position. There is plenty of evidence, as I've just illustrated, to suggest that black youth encounter what we sociologists refer to as ethnic penalties in many facets of their social lives, social life, including the area of education, as Gus has just um, highlighted uh, with a, a, a clutch of disturbing statistics. Employment and in the criminal justice system. This, the lived experiences of ethnic penalty become the site from which black youth in Britain have to struggle on a daily basis. And that struggle and the attempts to overcome that struggle was captured in a study that I and a team of people, including Gus John, incidentally, undertook for the Joseph Rowntree Foundation in 2005. This was a two-year study that was undertaken across two cities, Nottingham and a number of boroughs in London. Some of the boroughs and localities, neighbourhoods were caught up in the, the riots. And the study was a longitudinal study that attempted to map 
as well as capture the experiences of young people in their attempts to navigate their marginality. And part of that uh, marginality came out of the horrendous, horrendous human rights experience um, of being denied an education, being excluded from school, which is a grave human rights violation as far as I'm concerned. And we looked at how these young people uh, attempted with their family, uh, drawing on the resources from their local communities, how they became creative social agents for change in their lives, how they attempted through galvanizing uh, material support from their local communities, how they attempted to buck the trend. The trend being excluded from school, being unemployed, ending up in prison or in a mental health institution. So how do they do that? The study focused on their stories. <clears throat> Um, to give some sort of intellectual uh, understanding to, um, I won't be so highbrow, say theoretical understanding, uh, but to give some context to what I am emphasising here in terms of mobilising uh, social community resources to act as a change agent and to take control of your lives, your life. Um, a way of expressing that act of mobilisation, I think, is captured in the work of Paulo Freire. Uh, and Gus has already cited this man who has uh, one of the um, renowned academics in the, uh, in your, well, he was an American, but in terms of his ideas, his ideas on social transformation, on education, etc., social movement politicization, is, uh, are indeed invaluable to how we understand groups and how groups attempt to um, transform their situation. This quote captures one of the significant developments within the black diasporic community, namely the way in which di black diasporic communities strive to transform their material conditions. How these young people, going specifically back to this, the work that I've cited, my, my, my work for the Joseph Brown Truth, how these young people attempt to, to transform their situation by utilising what is often referred to as the social and cultural capital um, that are embedded within their locality. Of course, what I'm describing for the black communities uh, is not new. Historically, the urban black working class uh, communities have, have been sites for black Caribbean individuals to forge 
uh, a political struggle and resistance. The critical mass of black Caribbeans in cities such as London, Birmingham, um, have been able to create, by using those urban spaces, to, fac uh, to facilitate uh, political mobilization. And they have used them as a site of protest and racing on. Um, and above all, they have used them in a political way to create um, user spaces, to create social solidarity. Hence, these sites provide uh, an avenue, an opportunity to uh, give a voice, create allies, um, to give social and material support. And more significantly, create a space to address some of the concerns that our young people um, raise. And quoting from the study, uh, one of the concerns that came out of our findings with the young people through their interviews, one of the themes that came out of their interviews, related to how it was that many of these young people um, felt about what they perceived to be their limited social and economic opportunities that they faced as part of their everyday lives, and also the restriction placed on their ambitions, expectations for economic success, uh, their expectations for intergenerational social mobility. They had aspirations and they utilise the social capital, the cultural capital available to them within their locality, within, available to, to them within their community groups and organisation to realise uh, some of those aspirations. And I quote here from uh, a young man who clearly was prepared to be uh, incremental in realising his aspirations, get a job, uh, try and map out a career. That career involves wearing certain attire, wearing a suit. Um, and ultimately, this person is saying, I am able, I have potential, I have a future, I have ideas, I have aspirations. That represented the thread that ran through uh, the conversations with the young people. Um, and they were able to be hopeful, to be optimistic, because they had the community resources from which they drew and drew successfully. What I have up here uh, is a response from those very same organisations that were pivotal to those young people transcending their uh, material situation. This is the responsibility, this is the ideology, this is the approach, this is the politics that I heard from many of those organisations, which incidentally, many of them no longer exist in Nottingham. Perhaps that explains the uprising there, and not in Derby where we're still relatively um, supported. Those organisations, as you can see from that quote, uh, 
saw it as their responsibility <coughs> to compensate for the lack of support that there is from the state to the black communities, and particularly young people. This is just another illustration of that politics, of that ideological stance that comes from this other provider of support for, young per for the young people in the community, where it is said here that if the door is not able to be open, take the hinges off, which I think is a powerful statement. I'll raise the head now because uh, time is racing on. What these community-based provision, self-help groups, call it what you will, are faced with is a situation whereby the neo-liberal economic social policies that are currently um, implemented by this government and the previous one, um, create the danger of, dis of destroying, undermining a fabric, the fabric within the local black communities that is essential for ensuring that young black people remain focused, remain optimistic. So many of them are faced with issues of sustainability as a result of the um, austerity measures. Many of these organisations are funded or were funded by the local uh, authorities, which as you know, have had to uh, impose stringent cuts. So the issue is, where do we go from here, where historically, Gus alluded to the supplementary schools that were established across the communities nearly 50 years ago. So the black communities have always had to look to themselves to supplement, as the previous quotes uh, stated, what society is not offering. Uh, so during this uh, stage and in the context of Black History Month, I think the communities need to mobilise to ensure that we remain uh, sustainable um, because not to do that we will see many more uprisings and I'll stop there.